three boys were in school and the, and the teacher called them to the front of the classroom and she said, I want each of you to announce your father's profession and then spell it. And so one boy's father was a minister, one boy's father was a bookie, the other's father was a psychiatrist. The minister's son went first. My dad is a minister, M-I-N-I-S-T-E-R. That's right. Second boy said, my dad is a bookie, B-O-O-K-I-E. And I'll give you 10 to 1 odds, that boy will never be able to spell psychiatrist. <laughs> the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Too Much, and it's been looking at what God's Word says about how to handle our, our money. So uh, two weeks ago, we, we looked at the practice of debt-free living and how freeing that is, how liberating uh, not to have your, your pay always going to, to climbing out of, out of a, a debt hole. Last week, we looked at the practice of saving, the idea of even if... If it's small, put something aside and, and save for the rainy day and, and expect uh, to, to, to little by little accumulate and, and build wealth. Today we want to look at that final practice, and that's the practice of, of giving. And I, I want to spell out what is God's teaching on giving. And this morning I'm, I'm speaking primarily to those of you who have committed your life to Christ and your lives to Christ and consider BCC to be your, your church home. We see financial giving as the responsibility of those who have embraced Christ. We, we don't expect non-Christians to finance the mission of the church. In fact, we are called to sacrifice to benefit that very group of people, those who are just getting to know the Lord. Today in our, our Faith Promise Commitment Sunday, at the, the end of the message, we'll be making our, our financial commitments for 2024. And again, today... If you're a, a guest visiting with us, you're invited to listen in on a family meeting, and uh, we're going to explore what God has to say about this practice of, of giving. Uh, I saw a cartoon in which a, a man and a woman were exiting a worship service and carrying a, a, a baby, and the, the man, the minister asked the, the woman, why was your, your baby crying? And the woman said, he's teething. Oh, and the minister said, why was your husband crying? She said, he's tithing. And some have that fearful perception that this is going to be painful, that if I give generously, then I won't have enough money to get by. And tithing is a, a faith exercise that will stretch your faith, that will foster more reliance on God. Yet at the same time, it's, it's not painful. It provides this positive joy for taking God at his word and embracing his promises about being generous. Maybe you've seen uh, red letter editions uh, of the New Testament, and they contain the spoken words of, of Jesus in red ink. And so most of those references appear in the Gospels, the biographies of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. There's a reference in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20, verse 35, is one of those red, red letter, uh, one of those rare red letter references that, that pops up outside of the Gospels. And it's quoting an expression that Jesus stated, uh, a divine insight that still rings true. You may have heard it. I, I hope you've experienced it. It states, it is more blessed to give than to receive. There are three steps it, it takes to be a giver. The first step is, is a step of faith. Giving to God demands faith that he will provide. The early explorer, American hero, Daniel Boone, was once asked if, in all of his travels, had he ever been lost? 
And he's reported to have answered, lost? No, I can't say I was ever lost. I, I once was bewildered for three days, but never lost. You know, it's, it's, it's hard for a guy to ask for, for help or directions, isn't it? That reminds me of the, the joke about the man who hated his wife's pet cat. I mean, he couldn't stand this cat. He, he wanted to get rid of it somehow. So one day when his wife was gone, he put the, the cat in his car, and he traveled to the other side of town, and he released the cat, and then the man returned home. As he pulled into the driveway, he couldn't believe his eyes. There was the cat walking up the driveway. The next day, he thought he'd try again. He put the cat in his car. He drove 10 miles away. He sped home as fast as he could drive. But when he entered the house, the cat was already back home, napping on the sofa. In desperation, the next day, he took the cat way out on the back roads, drove 20 miles out of town. I mean, he got out into the boondocks, and he went up a hill, turned left, crossed the bridge, went right at the fork in the road, doubled back to the deepest part of a dense woods, and then he dropped the cat off. About two hours later, he called his wife and said, is the cat there? Yes, she said. Why do you ask? Well, put him on the phone. I'm lost, and I need some directions. Well, that's how you feel when you're having financial problems, that, that you're lost, you're, you're unsure of the way back. And if your finances are out of control, then your life will feel out of control. And, and that's why these biblical principles are so important, because it'll strengthen your well-being, it'll help your, your family, it will take stress out of your life. It begins with this faith that is demanded if we're to give to God, and, and this idea that we can rely on him. There's an obscure story in the Old Testament. You may have read it. You may have never heard it. It's a story of great faith for a widow lady living in the town of Zarephath about 3,000 years ago. And there was a drought upon the land, and God sent Elijah the prophet to stay at the widow's house. And we pick up the story of 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning in verse 9. It records God's command. And so God told the prophet, Elijah, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. If you've ever gone camping, you know the purpose for gathering sticks is to build a fire. And so he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I might have a drink? And, and due to this drought, the, the water sources were, were very limited. And yet she was willing to share with God's prophet, Elijah. As she was going to get it, he said, would you please bring me a piece of bread? Uh, at this time, Elijah was on the run from wicked King Ahab, whose wife, the evil Queen Jezebel, wanted to kill him. He was hungry from his travels. He sought food and safe lodging in this little town. He said, hey, could you spare a piece of bread for me? I, I'm coming in off the road. I'm, I'm really hungry. That'd be great to go with, with the water. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. I, only a handful of flour in a jar, a little olive oil in a jug. And I'm gathering sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son and that we may eat it and then die. This woman and her son were resigned to the fact that their time had come. And they would eat their last supper together, and only a miracle could save their lives. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, 
But first, make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up. And the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. God sent Elijah to the widow to save his life. And God provided Elijah for the widow to save her life and the life of her son. And notice what he told her. Don't be afraid. Fear is the antithesis of faith. And this offer sounded too good to be true. You're saying, give you bread first, then take care of our needs, and God's going to continue to supply so that my jar of flour will not be used up and my jug of oil will not run dry? It sounded too good to be true, but she risked her final provisions, obeying what had been commanded, giving first to God and his servant with reliance on God to provide. She went away and did as Elijah had told her, So there was food every day for Elijah and for the widow and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. And faithfully, unquestioningly, she listened to God's instruction from Elijah and gave back to the Lord first through Elijah, And the result of her trust was God's provision in the face of an otherwise unsolvable predicament. Giving to God demands faith that he will provide. The next step, step two, that's needed to become a giver is generosity. And it's the idea that giving to God deserves generosity because of all he has given. So let's move from the story of the widow of Zarephath and her experience And then let's fast forward ahead a thousand years to the time of Christ on the earth and learn from the faith example of another faithful widow. We we pick up the story in Mark chapter 12. Jesus told about a poor widow who gave all she had in great sacrifice. She was a giver. She gave her all. She gave in faith, trusting that her security was in God. It was not in holding on to her material things. We pick up the story in Mark 12, verse 41. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put. So Jesus is sitting watching the offering box there at the temple as people were coming and and dropping in their gifts. He watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasure. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. And then Jesus didn't waste that teachable moment. He called his disciples over to the side and he said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. There were people who were over there going, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60. Everyone's seeing this? Okay, great. You know, and and we're doing this with with this ostentatious show. And people are going, wow, that guy really gave a lot, man. And and Jesus said, "Don't, don't miss the point. Those guys didn't give as much as she gave because she gave all she had out of her poverty. She put in everything, but they gave out of their wealth. 
out of their surplus. Her, her gift was more sacrificial. It was more genuine. It, it was c- complete. She gave all she had to live on. She gave her all in faith, trusting that her security was in God, not, not in holding on to her material things. And Jesus said, she actually gave more than the many who appeared to give more. We're, we're reading a, a book as we're going through this series. It's called Too Much. There's still a few copies available. If you want to pick one up, that's a gift from the church. They're at the Welcome Center or at the, at the doorways. And there are three observations that are drawn in the book about this story of the, the, the poor widow. First is that, that God measures our giving not by the amount we give to him, but by the amount we keep for ourselves. God measures our giving not by the amount we give to him, but by the amount we keep for ourselves. The second principle is that no one is too poor to give. She didn't have a lot, but she still had that prompting in in her heart to, to, to be generous. And then third, we will never learn to give to God until we trust God. When we withhold our our gifts from God, we're saying, I really don't think you can take care of me, Lord. So I'm going to hang on to this just to, you know, to take care of myself because I I don't trust you completely. But we must ask, is passion for acquiring things keeping me from being generous to God like I should be? And then that, the final point I want you to see this, this morning is that we need to refocus. That's step three. Giving to God directs focus from self to others. Sometimes we hear the expression tithes and offerings. What, what is a tithe? The tithe is 10% of, of one's gross income. What is an offering? An offering is a gift uh, above and beyond the tithe. Tithing was first practiced centuries before the birth of Christ, all, all the way back by Abraham in Genesis 14, verse 20. Then 400 years later, it was commanded as part of the Old Testament law. And Malachi the prophet conveyed this message from God to the nation of Israel. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 10. It says, will a man rob God? And yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. That concept is constant of bringing that first tenth of our income to the Lord. The storehouse is representing uh, the the church in our times so that the Lord's work can be carried out locally and globally the benevolent causes that, that we underwrite, the mission, people that are, are blessed and, and are served, and see if God will not throw open the floodgates. This is the only time we're ever told to test God. He said, if you don't believe this is true, try it. You'll be surprised. You'll be amazed. Sometimes I'm asked, well, wasn't tithing just for the Old Testament? And the answer is no. It, it was practiced in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. During his ministry, Jesus endorsed the tithe, Matthew 23, 23. He never rescinded its requirement. In fact, he elevated the expectation, and maturing Christians are to grow beyond that starting place of 10% and give offerings according to the way God has blessed us. 
I love the faith promise concept. Oswald Smith put it this way. A faith promise commitment is a decision to give a specific amount to the Lord's work based upon God's future supply of funds rather than one's present ability to give money. The essential idea is to make a specific promise by faith relying on the Lord to provide and the Lord to enable fulfillment of the promise. He goes on, if God doesn't supply, you don't give because it's, it's up to him to provide. So when you complete the commitment card that's in your bulletin or has been on your dresser for the last three weeks, you're to indicate the amount of your projected 2024 stewardship commitment to the ministry and outreach of Batesville Christian Church. These figures are confidential. Please do not sign your name. This is just an unsigned private covenant between you and God only. You're saying, Lord, with your help, I'd like to give this amount of money to your work if you'll provide that money in this next year. And the number you write down should represent a step of faith so that you can stretch beyond what you can safely see or afford to give. These commitments are best made after prayer. Remember this, you may know what you have now, but only God knows what you will have to give to his work in the coming year. So as we prepare to make our faith promise commitments in a few moments, you're invited to prayerfully ask, Lord, how much would you have me give to your work through BCC in 2024? C.S. Lewis said, I do not believe one can settle how much we ought to give. I'm afraid the only safe rule is to give more than we can spare. In other words, he said, if our expenditures and comforts, our luxuries and amusements are up to the standard common with those of the same income as our own, we're probably giving way too little. If our charities don't at all pinch or hamper us, I should say they are too small, end quote. More people at BCC are embracing the, the convenience and determining to give their tithes and offerings via direct bill pay from their bank account, making direct deposits into the church's uh, bank account. If you have questions about how to participate in electronic giving, your, your bank can, can help assist you in arranging that. Will Rogers made this observation. He said, there are two types of people in the world, givers and takers. He said, try to be in the first category, there's a lot less competition. We want to be givers. We want to excel in the grace of giving. We want to develop this practice of giving. And as we work to get out of debt and manage our money more carefully in this coming years, we work to establish savings and plan and prepare for the future. The, the next jewel is to, to practice giving, the spirit of of generosity. So how do we develop a mindset toward giving? Parents, you can never start too soon to teach your children to be givers. When I was in grade school, I remember being given two quarters for my allowance, and I was told that I should give a quarter to God and, and I could keep a quarter. And I had my own set of offering envelopes from our church and I'm sure I, I gave high blood pressure to some church treasurer charged with this tedious task of tracking uh, the record keeping for my 25 cents uh, a week that was given and then getting my annual giving statement. But it developed within me a systematic, habitual approach 
to the discipline of giving back first to God. So fast forward to age 14, the summer before my freshman year of high school. I attended a Christ in Youth Conference, CIY, and we were asked to make a financial commitment to help support that ministry. At the time, I didn't have a job. I was seeking a job. I'd had an interview before going to CIY, but I didn't have the assurance uh, of a job yet. And so in faith, I, I committed $8 a month to be given to, to CIY. When I returned home from CIY, I learned that a, a nearby restaurant had called back, offered me a job as a busboy, earning the current minimum wage of $1.50 an hour. While I wasn't going to get rich, God had responded to my step of faith, and he had provided me with sufficient income to cover my $8 a month commitment. And time and time again, I've seen God work in my life, in the lives of other individuals, in the, in the life of the church, to respond with blessing when we take him at his word and, and faithfully trust him to provide for our needs. Ephesians 3, verses 20 and 21 now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Christian financial experts recommend the 10-10-80 the rule. That's give the first 10% to God. Save the next 10% and live on the remaining 80%. When we get together with our adult sons and, and daughter, I'm always glad to pay for dinner. I truly enjoy the chance to spend time together, and I know that at this stage they are beginning their careers. I'm glad to pay the way. But sometimes one of them will say, hey, I'm paying for dinner this time, and I want to take out you and mom. And you know how that makes me feel? grateful. It's not necessary, but it's nice that they want to give and not only receive. And even though I may not need their money, I relish their generosity and their appreciation for my past gifts. And I think it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. He truly doesn't need our money, but when we give generously back to Him, it conveys our love and our true appreciation for Him. November is a, a great time for gratitude. The, the crops are being harvested. The leaves have changed. Thanksgiving is, is this Thursday. One teacher asked her students to, to write something for which they are, were thankful for. And, and to each write a statement here as a part of their class's Thanksgiving celebration. And all the kids wrote different things. And one little boy wrote on, on his Thanksgiving gratitude. He said, I'm thankful that I'm not a turkey. And, uh, that's how he was looking at, at this Thursday. And I want you to look at it in, in this way, that Thanksgiving should not be limited to the fourth Thursday in November, but it should be an, an attitude that's a part of our lives every day of the year. Hasn't God been good, better than we deserve, granting us families, happiness, health, sufficient food, clothing, friends, shelter, so much more. I, I want to remind you, I want you to remind yourself of, of his promises regarding generosity. 
call to mind the biblical principles that promise the benefits of, of sowing bountifully. Bumper crops don't forget our, our God's specialty. And then revisit your heart. Nobody but you can do this. I can't tell you how much to give, and I would never presume to do that. And you can't tell me how much to give. We each have to wrestle with this individually. Open up that private vault and ask hard questions like, is my giving proportional to my income? Is my giving systematic, regular, consistent, habitual? Is my giving out of gratitude as a thank you? to God for what he's done. The, the late theologian Francis Schaeffer observed that we live in an age characterized by two dominant goals, personal peace and affluence. He said, in a culture where having enough and being left alone seem to be the desired objectives, there is always a challenge in addressing the subject of our relationship to our things. 2 Corinthians 5.7 quotes the Apostle Paul's statement, we walk by faith, not by sight. Years ago, those at Batesville before us walked by faith and not by sight. In their sacrifices, they put others ahead of themselves. And today we enjoy the blessings that have germinated from their sacrifices. Aren't you grateful for those people who, before you came to Christ, gave sacrificially so that you would have the opportunity to know him and experience his grace. Have you considered how your response to giving now will or will not impact future generations for Christ? This is a definite faith walk with God into the future, which only he clearly sees. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God. God deserves the best we can offer, and too often we hold back thinking first of ourselves rather than the salvation of others. In our affluent country, we must do daily battle with the mistress of materialism who connects our self-worth and security to the abundance of our possessions. Otherwise, we will give some to the Lord, but he will never occupy that sovereign position of first place in our lives. The, the Butterball Turkey Company has a, a hotline for recipe helps and customer service. And one customer service agent tells of a, a call she received from a concerned turkey owner. The, the woman called and said, hey, I, I found a turkey that has been in my deep freezer for 23 years. And the customer service representative told her, well, it might be okay to eat if the freezer has been kept below zero the entire time. But even so, the flavor would have deteriorated so much that it, it would not be very tasty. The caller then said, yeah, that's what I thought. I'll just donate it to the church. Well, God not only deserves the best that we can offer, but he demands our best. By the gates of the treasury still he sits and watches the gifts we bring, and he measures the gold that we give to him by the gold to which we cling. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Money is the fuel that determines the rate of advance in this war of God versus Satan, right versus wrong, good versus evil. You can't discover new oceans 
until you're willing to lose sight of the shore. It takes faith. It takes generosity. It takes directing the focus from self to others. This is the practice of giving. And God's response to money problems is the same as his answer to, to health concerns or family problems or any other difficult circumstances. God wants us to trust him, not ourselves, not our job, not our bank balance. And Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Matthew 6, 21. Since God wants our hearts, he will work through our finances. And when we learn to trust him with our money, we will learn to trust him with anything, even our very lives. Will you come to him and put your trust in him, making him first in every arena of your life, first in your thoughts, first in your actions, first in your time, first in your talents, and first in your friendships, first in your finances. Would you please stand? I'm going to pray for you. Dear God, help us to all look inwardly and be sure that we are putting you first in our, our lives, in our priorities, in our actions. And one small way that we can demonstrate that is to, to put you first in our, our giving. Lord, uh, we know it's not as painful and scary as it, it may sound or seem, that you are faithful, that you bless, that you provide in, in ways we, we can't even imagine. So Lord, uh, I, I just pray that we would trust you with our entire lives right now and just surrender our beings to you. And we know that you'll work through us and in us if we do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.